Mr. Chairman, as a corn root, I speak for millions of my kind who can't be here to defend themselves. Pests are stalking our stocks and undermining our roots. But we can elect to protect with a legacy of strength. Pancho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment system increases nearby microbial activity to help us grow stronger. That's smart. Ladies and gentlemen, please, this is a corn roots movement. Ask your BASF seed advisor about Pancho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment. Always read and follow label directions. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. And hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us today, letting us be part of your day on this uh, Thanksgiving week. Glad that you are with us. Here's what we'll be talking about. Ryan Finley, CEO of the American Soybean Association, will join us. We'll talk trade and biodiesel issues. Steve Nicholson with Robo AgriFinance will give us a market outlook for the rest of the year. And former USDA Chief Economist Joe Glober will join us. His thoughts on potential implications down the line from these market facilitation program payments. Do they get us in trouble in uh, world trading organizations? Do they set... Uh, precedents, high-level precedents that uh, may be tough to uh, match in the future. Does that come back to haunt us at some point? We'll get his thoughts on that a little bit later on. But we're going to start things off with DTN reporter Todd Neely. Todd, good to good to talk with you. Let's let's start things off with USMCA. I've said all along I think it'll get voted on like before they head at home on Christmas break. That may be the last thing they get done. But I'm starting to get really concerned that it will get pushed into next year. And I, I, I don't see any reason for that. They've had plenty of time, both sides, right. to, to get this thing figured out and worked out. And somehow, if it doesn't get done, I, I feel like we've been, we've been strung out and played along here uh, for various reasons, one being the Democrats don't want to uh, admit maybe they don't want to do it, some of them, but they don't want to look like they're so focused on impeachment they can't get something else done, so they've kind of let us down this path that it's going to get done. And the administration, uh, if they haven't submitted everything or done everything they should do to address the issues, then shame on them because it should have been done by now, too. I I think both sides have very little, if any, excuses if this thing doesn't come up for a vote here by the end of the year. Yeah, I totally agree, Mike. I think, uh, you know, we're at a point now where, uh, you know, there's still that possibility that this, that this gets done quicker than what some people think. We're, uh, you know, this morning, uh, on, a, on a call with Senator Grassley, he was talking about, uh, even as, even as uh, recently as yesterday on into the early this morning, uh, there's some talk coming from Nancy Pelosi that, uh, maybe they'll get to this quicker than, than they thought. Uh, so I, I still think that that's a possibility because you know we've we've talked a lot about this how uh, both sides of this uh, of this issue Democrats and Republicans it very much support this agreement it's it's really uh, it's really gotten to the point where both Canada and Mexico have even started looking at the possibility of, of not uh, going with it and so uh, yeah I, I think we're at a critical juncture here in, in terms of whether this agreement's going to actually hold together. Uh, you know, there's there's really no reason to believe that it won't. But uh, you know, the more it goes on, uh, and the more that we hear more about impeachment and, and all these other issues, uh, I I think it really starts to lose a bit of a bit of momentum. But we're hearing this morning that it's possible uh, that that Pelosi might have a change of heart on this and that it'll get done before the end of the year. 
and I hope it does come up for a vote before the end of the year. Because here's the here's the phrase that I really don't like to hear. I can't stand this phrase. Well, there are the votes there to pass it if it would just come up for a vote. That means somebody is blocking right. a voting process, and that always bothers me. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and we're. I mean, we we've, we've really been seeing a lot of a lot of give and take on on the USMCA. It's it's not like. Uh, it's not like we've had, you know, grave uh, disagreements about what what's in there and, you know, what can be done. And, you know, e- even if there's some compromise to be had, which there always is to some degree, uh, it doesn't seem there's any reason that's really been brought up that would actually kill this agreement. And so it's definitely something, uh, it, it seems like a formality. It's, it, you know, you put it up for a vote and it's going to pass. I mean, that's everything that we've been hearing. And, uh Hopefully that's going to get done. I, I still think that that can happen. Yeah, I think too often. I mean, we're based our systems based on voting, and too often things right. in Congress don't come up for a vote because somebody wants to block them. You know, if you don't like something that comes up for a vote, vote against it, but at least have the vote. And I think it's frustrating when it when it doesn't happen. All right, let's move on to the uh, uh, the small refinery exemptions and the whole RFS situation. Uh, stop me if we've said this uh, uh, several dozen times this year. Uh, we're waiting for yet another announcement from the White House on uh, on the RFS. That's a possibility, although there's really no clear, uh, really no clear path or clear understanding as to what's going on. But we do know that the president has finally been made aware that this agreement or the agreement that was reached doesn't match the proposal. I mean, this is something. We've kind of wondered since uh, EPA put out that supplemental proposal whether the president really even knew what was in it. Um, you know, coincidentally, uh, there was a meeting among some senators at the White House uh, to talk about immigration, and the conversation swayed into biofuels. Uh, and one of the senators brought up uh, brought up the point that uh, what's in the supplemental proposal is not what was agreed to. And from what we're hearing, the president was very surprised by that, and so. Uh, you know, I think in the, in the days following that supplemental coming out, we had talked about, you know, whether President Trump knew. And I, and I think from uh, from what we've heard, he did not know. And now whether this leads to something, uh, you know, some concrete change in that supplemental, uh, that's really unclear at this point. Because, as you know, uh, EPA hasn't always uh, gone with what the president wanted on, on, on certain issues. And here's another one that frustrates me. I mean, at some point, <laughs> sit down with your EPA administrator and get on the same page on this thing. Absolutely. You know, and I, and I think, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, going on into 2020 and the election and all that stuff, um, how, you know, what the future, let's say President Trump gets reelected, what the future is of Andrew Wheeler at EPA. Um, there's no indication one way or the other that he's on a hot seat or anything of, of that sort, but... You know, as these things keep coming up, it's got to make you wonder whether President Trump uh, starts to take a look at EPA a little closer. And, and uh, I think, you know, this is this is one of those things where, you know, the president's got a lot on his plate, obviously, and uh, you know, he, he relies on the people in his administration to get it right. And I and I think uh, he definitely was surprised from what we're hearing. Yeah, and I, I understand he has a lot on his plate right now, but this thing has drug yeah. on so long. At some point, you would, you think. Okay, let's just get this thing settled, you know, and not let this keep dragging. I mean, he sh- at this point, he shouldn't be surprised by what's going on, right? I mean, uh, we've had enough time to work this thing out, too. Yeah, absolutely, and, and that's, that's just it. I, I think, you know, I suspect that the president probably was, uh, you know, a little bit put off by it because, you know, 
honestly, he's been dealing with biofuels uh, issues far more than a lot of other issues. Uh, you even heard the president say that, that he, uh, you know, a lot of his time has gone into this. And so I think he's definitely tried to, to make it right. And, uh, you know, this is just another one of those situations in a long saga. Yeah, these these issues, this just they keep dragging them out and dragging them out, and it just gets frustrating. Todd, thanks for being with us. Appreciate it, and uh, have a very happy Thanksgiving, okay? Yeah, you too, Mike. Thank you. Always good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. DTN reporter Todd Neely. Well, we'll talk about uh, some of those issues like trade and biofuels with our next guest. The CEO of the American Soybean Association, Ryan Finley, will join us. He'll have some thoughts on USMCA and uh, tax extenders that needs to get done to get a biodiesel tax credit back in place. Uh, We'll talk about that and more with Ryan Finley next on AOA. The sounds of success vary from person to person. Over to second in time on the first double play. Success sounds like this to a Credenz soybean grower. When you pick Credenz, you get a precise variety that fits your field. A variety built to work in your soil type and conditions with targeted traits for local pest and disease pressures. Earning the satisfaction of a successful soybean crop? That's smart. Talk to your authorized Credenz retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And we're joined now by the CEO of the American Soybean Association, Ryan Finley. Good to talk with Ryan again. Ryan, in the last segment before you came on, I was venting my frustration on a couple of topics we're going to talk about here, one of them being USMCA. And I I hope it comes up for a vote and we get this thing settled this year. But if it doesn't, I feel like we've been we've been strung along, led along here, uh, both by Democrats who say they want to get it done this year and let mm-hmm. us believe it's going to happen. But I think maybe they were just wanting to show they could do something besides impeachment and get something done and kind of let us along. Uh, and if the administration hasn't gotten everything addressed that needed to be addressed, then shame on them, too. I, I just don't want to hear we've run out of time and this can't get done until next year because they've had plenty of time to get it done. <laughs> Well, you're absolutely right on both accounts. That's exactly what they're going to say, that they don't have time. I don't think they're going to get it done this year. Um, I think that there will, there will be a deal announced. And so this is, let's just take uh, uh, 30 seconds or so and walk through the process, which maybe you've already done. But the, the, the deal right now, when we have a trade agreement, it is negotiated by the U.S. Trade Representative of the United States. When it goes to Congress, from the White House, they'll send up what's known as implementing language, and that, that is put into a bill, and Congress can only vote up or down. They can't offer any amendments. So what's gone on the last year is USTR, uh, Lighthizer, the trade the ambassador, has gone to a working group of Democrats on the House side to say, if we send language up, are you going to approve it? And they've said, probably not. What they've done is gone back and forth to say, are there side letters we can add to this legislative package that make you agree that you would support it? So the deal itself is done. But trying to figure out the package that Congress would vote up or down is what everything has been 
fought over the last year. And now we're at the point where the deal, the verbal deal between the, the White House, Ambassador Lighthizer, and this group of House Republican Demo- or House Democrats has reached its conclusion, but they have to put it on paper. Then we have to put it into a bill form. It has to go to a committee, the Ways and Means Committee in the House, then the full House. Senate Finance look, needs to look at it, and then the full Senate needs to look at it. So we have all of these steps with less than 10 legislative days that they're in session the rest of the year. And there's just logistically, I don't see how that could happen. And they've allowed that to happen. They've, they've know what the deadline is. They know what, if they're going to try to, they really wanted to get it done this year. You don't push it off, push that much off to this uh, short a period of time because you know you can't get it done. Yep. You're absolutely right. No question about it. And that's just, uh, you know, for better or for worse, that's how Congress in Washington, D.C. has operated the last couple of years. They, and some would say forever, they wait until that deadline forces their hand. And, and so I think some, some people will say, if we don't get it done this year, it's not going to happen because we're going to move right into election politics in 2020. I, I do not think we will have a deal passed by both chambers and signed by the president this year. I am confident it will happen very early in 2020, just because what we're looking at right now is a logistical challenge with days of, of session left. It's, it's an excuse. It's not, it's not good. It's an excuse. But I, I'm still confident we'll see it early in 2020. Hmm. Okay. Well, I appreciate your candor on that because I think you're one of the first ag leaders I've heard say it, you don't think it'll get done this year, but it can get done early next year because the conventional thinking has been if it gets pushed into next year, it won't get done at all. Right. Yep. So we'll see how this plays out. The other thing I said really frustrates me is when I hear members of Congress and others say, well, I think there are the votes here to pass something, but it doesn't come up for a vote. That mean, that to me says there's a small group somewhere in there that's, that doesn't want it to happen, so they block it from coming up for a vote. Yeah, so I'm going to give my, my two-cent opinion on this, and I don't know if I should or not, but I think that this is, this is a pure internal politics of when that type of situation occurs, you have a legitimate number of people that if they put the, the bill on the floor, yes, it would pass. In the House of Representatives, out of 435 members, you need 218 to pass a vote. If you have a majority of the Republicans, but Speaker Pelosi only has her leadership sign on, it doesn't look good. Speaker Pelosi wants her leadership plus a majority of the Democrats to sign on to a bill before she puts it on the floor. And likewise, Republicans in the Senate side are not going to put something there if it's going to take a majority of the Democrats and just a couple of Republicans. They want a bunch of Republicans. So it's a pure political play. And that's my opinion and how I view it, whether it's right or wrong. I don't know. But that's how I see those situations play out. It is frustrating. There's no question about it. If there are votes and, and we're waiting on something, why can't we see that move forward? That is frustrating. We're talking with the CEO of the American Soybean Association, Ryan Finley. All right, let's switch now to the RFS situation, and supposedly we're waiting for yet another announcement from the White House. Um, there's another. I guess this is my date event. I'm frustrated with this too. It's why can't the White House and the EPA get on the same page and get this thing worked out? We keep hearing the president surprised by what's going on, or it, it gives you a feeling that the EPA is doing something separate from what the White House wants, or or you wonder, are, is this just one 
you know, I call it a good cop, bad cop. The president says something good about biofuels, but the EPA does something different. Uh, I, however it is, I'm frustrated that this is taking so long to get get this thing worked out. Well, Mike, I share that frustration. I think a lot of farmers, a lot of people in the biofuel space share that frustration. And you said it at the beginning. If if USDA, if Secretary Purdue and Andrew Wheeler, the administrator of EPA, and President Trump are all in the same room, and they all reach an agreement as to how we are going to resolve small refinery exemptions in the RFS and what, what is appropriate, and then that deal is put out on paper and it's not what was verbally agreed to, I would think the president would say, that's not what we talked about. Let's do what we talked about and put it on paper and make the farmers happy. I, I, I have to believe that's what the president has wanted to happen, and it hasn't. And that's extremely frustrating. So we continue to wait and to see what uh, they may or may not work out. In the meantime, uh, when we look at another issue that's very important to the biodiesel industry, that's the biodiesel tax credit. What are you hearing on a tax extenders package? Does that get hooked to whatever spending bill they finally come up with, hopefully before the end of the year? Yeah, I, I, I am optimistic on that one, and maybe I'm overly optimistic on it. I, I think the fact that there is still discussion about a tax extenders package is really beneficial. Um, I don't think there's any question that members of Congress and the president, the administration in general, understand that farmers, the rural economy, biofuels specifically, are hurting. There have been 10 biodiesel plants over the last over this year that have either gone gone to an idle or they have shut down, and that's just because of the financial situation and demand drivers and a lot of challenges that are facing the biodiesel industry. And so, if we can see this tax credit move forward in the tax extenders package, that would be huge for farmers for the biodiesel industry, for rural America, and I, I believe that Congress understands that. There's no question they understand it. Um, will, they, will they have the, uh, the ability to put it in the package? I'm optimistic that they'll, they'll find a vehicle and make that happen this year. Um, whether, whether that's going to come to fruition, we'll see, but I've, that is one where I'm optimistic. Okay, because we've been so close before, and uh, it, I know. we were disappointed. So we'll see if this yep. one makes it. Like one more topic, I, I I am tempted to not talk about China anymore until there's a deal done. I'm just I've been up and down <laughs> on this thing so many times, but it, but it's so big and it's so important. We have to talk about it. Uh, how do, how do you read where we're at now with the back and forth between the two sides? I, you, you, maybe you caught me on a bad day. I'm probably more pessimistic today on a deal with China than I have been in a long, long time. And I, I'm going to say that we had a phase one deal. There were a lot of, uh, there was a lot of excitement generated on China purchasing 40 to 50 billion dollars worth of agricultural goods on an annual basis. It's what the president was saying. It's what we were hearing. And they were going to sign the phase one deal in November. Um, they were going to do it in, in Chile, and in Chile they had to cancel the meeting because of unrest, and the deal never was put on paper. It was never signed. We don't know when it's going to be put in, on paper. We don't know when it's going to be signed. We, we hear China backpedal on their, their decision to purchase the 40 to 50. We hear um, that talks are ongoing, so it's good that they're ongoing, but it's frustrating that we're back to talking when we thought we had a phase one deal. And so I, 
I just think that this issue is a lot bigger than a few agricultural commodities, even if it's huge for us. And, and I just don't see closure anytime soon. Ryan, always good to talk with you. Thank you very much. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, Mike. Ryan Finley, CEO of the American Soybean Association. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. An hour into the trading day and an easier tone on a Tuesday for the grain and oil seed sector. Grain investors, according to the Wire Talk, are going to need to see hardier information to make any kind of big moves based off of any U.S.-China trade negotiations. March corn poked up to a modestly higher close on Monday, but we're still trapped within the recent choppy and neutral range. January soybeans closed lower for the fourth consecutive session in a row on Monday. The bears keeping pressure on the market. As of Sunday, according to USDA's latest crop progress numbers, some 16% of the nation's corn crop still in the field, 6% of soybeans still in the field. Corn harvest pace nationwide, the slowest since November of 2009. North Dakota, only 30% harvested. Areas of the country looking at a one-two punch of winter weather this holiday week. In corn futures, the March contract down two at 378 and three quarters. Soybeans an hour into the day, January down eight at 884 and a quarter. Chicago wheat December down four and a half at 526 and three quarters. Minneapolis spring wheat, March contract down a half at 512 and a half. Kansas City wheat March down eight at 437 and a quarter. For livestock at the Merck and live cattle futures, the December contract is up 27 at 119.97. We await cash cattle activity so far this week. Feeder cattle, January, down 55, 141.42. Lean hog futures, February, down 45 at 67.30. The Dow up 36 points, S&P up 3, crude oil up 35. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And welcome back. I want to thank Ryan Finley, CEO of the American Soybean Association, who was on with us the last segment. I appreciate his candid remarks. You know, we talk with a lot of uh, ag leaders and they have to be very careful when they're discussing issues like uh, trade or whatever policy, whatever it may be, because they are lobbying or dealing with members of Congress or the administration or whoever it may be to try to get something done. So uh, they have to be careful with their words. But I thought Ryan was very candid in his thoughts about USMCA and how he now doesn't think there's enough time to get it done this year. But is hopeful and thinks it will get done early next year. So we'll see how that plays out. Uh, And he also expressed his frustration, as I've been expressing my frustration uh, today on how long this has taken. They've pushed it. Congress and the administration have let it go this far to where they are running out of time. I I find that frustrating. Maybe they'll still get it done this year. We'll see. But they're sure making it hard to get it done this year. And the frustration over the RFS situation as well. These things just drag on and on and on, and they don't uh, they don't seem to bring them to resolution. So we will see uh, how it all plays out. But I appreciate Ryan Finley's uh, the comments. I also appreciate Steve Nicholson, grain and oil seeds analyst for Robo Agrofinance, for being with us. Steve, good to talk to you again. Good morning. 
morning, Mike. How are you? Well, I, I guess I'm on my soapbox today. I, I'm venting frustration here. Going to get it out of my system before Thanksgiving. <laughs> well, I, I understand that. I think there's I think there's a lot of frustration to go around for, for agriculture right now in general. So, Yeah, let's talk about the frustration yeah, of harvest. Ahead. I mean, these numbers yeah. that are out showing us how much crop is still in the field, and here we are almost to Thanksgiving. Yeah, no, and that's that's exactly right. That's, the, that's one of the other frustrations I'm thinking about as well. I was from St. Louis to Iowa City two week. It would be a weekend to go now, and amazing. Most of the beans are out, but you know a lot of corn still sitting in the field, and and people working when it wasn't raining. Um, and then I talked to someone just uh, late yes or late last week on Friday, and he was in Central Iowa, and he just finished up corn harvest uh, that day. So I mean, you're talking people. They're running right up to Thanksgiving, and usually. Usually when we go home for Thanksgiving back to Iowa, you know, by this time we do start to see some field work being done. But, you know, this year I don't think that's going to be the case. I mean, it's, it, I, feel, I feel like a broken record, but it's, you know, it's just, you know, we've been at this now for 12 months, and, I, you know, producers are just physically and emotionally just exhausted. Um, the weather just has not given us any breaks at all. And this is, you know, and we see this reflected, you know, not really in futures but in basis numbers. And, and basis numbers for corn have been a little stemmy. Um, beans a little less so. Kind of depends on where you are. But the fact is, the market is seeing, you know, not seeing, come out, you know, crop coming out of the country, um, not getting deliveries, and so they're having to bid up to try to, you know, basically, you know, pry it out of people's hands because it's just not moving. But it's frustrating, and, for sure. Yeah, and the forecast isn't good as we go into Thanksgiving, and it's going to be even harder to try to get some of that crop out. And we know in some point, we know the situation in North Dakota and some of those states yep. really struggling uh, with harvest. Uh, are you surprised? And I get, I don't know, would the market have been surprised? You thought, or more surprised than they seem to be, uh, to have. We knew it was going to be a late harvest. But shouldn't there have been some surprise that it's this much still in the field this late? Well, I would think so. I, you know, I, the futures market just is not, you know, is not responding uh, like I, like we all think it should, considering how, like you just said, how late harvest is. But, you know, the fact is it, it's more, you know, the futures market is more reflective of the global situation in, some, in, in, in one sense. And I think we have to kind of keep that in mind. But it kind of goes back to the conversation on basis, and that's where you expect to see it, and that's what we're seeing. Um, and as we've said, for, you know, off and on and for a year, is that that's where the opportunity is going to be for producers is in the basis, because if you can't get it, you're going to have to bid it up because the, the, board's, not, the board's not helping if you're a cash merchandiser right now. It's just telling, just telling farmers just to hang on. Um, but the, so they're, hang, you know, ramping those bases levels up to get up. But, I, you know, the board is looking down the road, and, and I think there's first a lot of optimism which about, about the China thing, but the fact is, like you said, it hasn't happened yet, and there's no details about it yet. You know, USMCA is not done yet. And, and I think I agree with your comments and with uh, the gentleman um, from the USB is that, yeah, it, that's probably not going to happen. We're just, just physically going to run out of time for Congress to get to it. Um, you've got some, you know, some kind of brush up with the European Union, although it doesn't affect agriculture all that much. It's just a continuation of a theme on the trade side. And then you start to look at what's happening around the world, and, and there is concerns about South America and Black Sea weather, um, but the fact is, you know, there are going to be higher higher numbers of acres or area planted this year, 
And so, you know, we really don't know that South American crop, and I don't get too concerned about it until we get into January, February, March to really see what their growing season looks like and, you know, what is it? Is it going to be dry? Is it going to stay dry? Is it going to get wet? And, you know, this is typically this time of year where South America will start to get some, some moisture. So, you know, the market's going, and the market's looking at this and going, we really have quite a bit of, as I always say, we have a lot of stuff in the world, and there's no reason to get too excited about it. We're talking with Steve Nicholson, grain and oil seeds analyst for Robo AgriFinance. Yeah, ASA President Ryan Finley saying he doesn't think USMCA gets done this year. Uh, China, who knows what's going to happen. So what I'm looking for is here, what sparks any kind of a rally the rest of this year? Do you see anything, or do, are we kind of stuck in a in a pattern here now? Well, I, I think we are stuck in a pattern, but, but I, I do want to say a couple things. I think what could spark a rally here a little bit and I'm going to look at a couple other minor crops. Um, they're not minor crops for these parts of the country, but they may may kind of, as I say, carve a pathway. If you think about what's happened with sugar beets and with potatoes in the northern tier states, you know, sugar beets had a, has had a really rough year. They, they didn't get it all harvested. I mean, it was late going in. It was late coming out. Then it froze, froze in the ground. You can't get something out of the ground if it's frozen. And even if you did get out of the ground and it gets frozen, um, You've lo- and have the chance to get it out of the ground, you've lost some sugar content. And those markets have gotten a little, have, have really moved up quickly and have gotten have really tightened up on the S&Ds. Potatoes are a similar situation in that you had frozen ground, so you had more rotten potatoes. It was a tough growing season for them as well. And so, you know, they've had a lot of logistical issues, a lot of quality issues, a lot of different sizes of potatoes. So the consumer is probably going to see an increase in potato prices over the next 12 months. Um, you may even see your French fries go up. So I wonder a little bit when I think about corn and soybeans and wheat. Now, wheat maybe not as much as corn and soybeans. Do we, you know, we've still got a lot of this harvest or a lot of crop to get out of the ground or get into, into bins, and do we see some quality issues that could start to creep in and cause issues for crushers and processors and, and feeders for that matter? Probably not, but potentially um, getting the right quality corn or the right quality soybeans to crush, and that may be a little bit of a supportive nature to the market overall. And so I think that's something to be watching for down the road. And as we've said all year, we're not going to know what this crop looks like to January, and we may get to January and not have it fully done either, the way the way things are going right now. Seems very likely we won't know in January. Yeah, I think that's right. And, I mean, I was, <laughs> this sounds really weird, but I was in Illinois in June of this summer, or this sum, this past summer, and there was a guy came in and was telling us, he said, yeah, the guy's out harvesting corn in the, in the bottoms of the Mississippi River there, west of, of, of Monmouth, and he's getting 180 bushel corn. I said, well, is that really early corn? What happened? He says, no, that's last year's corn. <laughs> I mean, so you could see people harvesting corn, I think, all winter long, and, and that becomes an issue for machinery, for, for farmers, for, you know, moving machinery in cold weather and using machinery in cold weather quality of issue and you know all sorts of things can come up and i think that's something to be watching for down the road and you know i i don't know that i can recall a time where we saw you know a two-tier market of quality versus poor quality um usually it's the high quality gets the attention and that low quality corn or soybeans or whatever the it ends up being just almost i hate to say it but in some ways just disposed of because it's it just has residual value so I think that's something to watch, but you're right. I think we could be harvesting this into the well into the new year, and we may not know the full story in January even then. So the real marketing opportunities right now uh, on it yep. comes down to the, the basis rather than the Absolutely. futures market. Yeah, 
Absolutely, and I think and it's one of the things I always is one of my little sermonettes is you know let's think about this as a, as a two prong, it's a two prong possibility. You've got future, you know, your cash price is futures plus basis, and why not try it rather than to try to hit a home run with just one price, a cash price? Let's try to hit, let's hit some singles and maybe some doubles with trying to market futures and market your bases, you know, different times. And right now, you know, you see what's happening to beans today. You see what's happened to corn the last several days. And you really don't want to sell futures, but you may be willing to sell some, some bases, and even today and farther out. Um, and that's where you look at and say there may be the possibilities to sell some deferred bases and wait for the futures market to come back up. And, and I would say one thing, you know, we're in the holiday season here of Thanksgiving and Christmas coming. You see markets get a little thinner on the volume, so you can see a lot of volatility to the upside and downside. And those volatility days to the upside may be opportunities to get some future sales off that you may not have got off normally. So I think you have to be paying attention all the time and looking at both sides of that equation, not just the cash price. All right, Steve, good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. Have a happy Thanksgiving, and we'll talk to you again soon. Same to you. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your listeners. We'll talk to you after the holidays. Okay, very good. Thanks. Steve Nicholson, Grain and Oil Seeds Analyst for Rabo Agra Finance. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk with Joe Glauber. He's Senior Research Fellow at the International Food Policy Research Institute, former USDA Chief Economist. His thoughts on the market facilitation program payments and the amount of those payments. Uh, will they come back to bite us at some point? Uh, whether with with the World Trade Organizations or just uh, with Congress or whatever, is this a dangerous precedent that has been set with these payments? We'll get his thoughts coming up next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Some measure success by Italian suits, corner offices, and luxury yachts. Farmers measure success differently. It's breathing fresh country air, taking care of the people you love, and knowing how to measure success in your soybean acres? That's smart. With Credenz Soybeans, you get a precise variety bred to fit your acres. And that Credenz variety comes with agronomic expertise and local insights from your BASF team. So plant your sign of success. Talk to your authorized Credenz retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, we're joined now by Joe Glauber, former USDA chief economist, now senior research fellow for the International Food Policy Research Institute. Joe, thank you for joining us again. Wanted to get your thoughts on the market facilitation program payments. We know they've been needed this year with all the trade disruptions and the ag economy the way they are. Uh, they have certainly uh, are very helpful, but uh, that's now, which you got to get through now to get to the future. But looking to the future, do you have any concerns that the payments, and especially the amount of the payments, will have some negative ramifications into the in the future? Yeah, Mike, I, I, I do. I think the um, I think you're absolutely right that that given the price impacts and other things with the trade war, there's no question that uh, revenues have been off, and uh, these these payments certainly have helped. The problem I see is that over the long run, if um, on top of the price and income support payments, on top of crop insurance subsidies, you 
have had these very, very large ad hoc payments. Um, and if they continue, I think it will attract attention worldwide. It already has. And I think that there, there are some potential uh, problems down the road in the WTO if this, these things were to continue. And how does that happen? I mean, do, at yeah, some point, are we involved in a WTO complaint or, or something yeah, like that? It, or? it would happen in one of two ways. One is that we do have limits. We're, um, uh, when we joined the WTO back in 1995, we, our overall support levels were capped at $19.1 billion. That's trade distorting support. And we've been far under that um, up until uh, the last couple of years. And these these MFP payments, you know, are are now get added to some of those numbers. So we start getting up near the um, 19.1 billion dollar mark. If we were to go over, uh, another member would have to take a case against us. The WTO doesn't really have enforcement mechanisms like a police force or something like that. It, it's uh, a member has to come in and, and complain and say, look, they're not abiding by their rules, much like we did against China recently on their domestic support programs. The other thing would be kind of like what happened in the Brazil cotton case, and that was you know, very similar uh, during 1998 through about 2001, Congress passed successive uh, ad hoc assistance bills, and Brazil said, hey, look at all this money going to cotton. Um, we think it's distorting production. We think that if it weren't for all these subsidies, uh, there'd be less cotton on the world markets, and we'd have higher prices. And they won that case. Um, I'm not saying that it would be as easy to win a case uh, with these market facilitation payments, but that's the exposure and the risk you run. Is there also a risk, even with Congress, at some point down the line, you got a lot of members of Congress that uh, uh, really aren't from rural areas, aren't representing rural areas, and, and at some point a need's going to come up and Congress, you could uh, have Congress saying, wait a minute, agriculture got all this money, uh, we're not inclined to do something else, whatever that situation may be at the time. Yeah, I, I I agree, and I think I think the other thing to remember is that these the size of these payments is so large, even relative to the farm bill, right? I mean, we're spending maybe five billion dollars on on ARC PLC payments, um, you know, another five to six billion in crop insurance subsidies. These things are sixteen billion dollars. You know, this last one that came through, um, and I think there are many, even in Congress, who are saying, "Wait a minute, uh, isn't there a?" You know, we're spending all this money through the farm bill. What what about all this additional monies that are coming in that we really aren't even having a chance to debate? And so I think that that will um, uh, potentially loom as an issue if these things continue. That said, 2020 looks like an election year to me, and and the idea that that Congress or that the president may want to do something additional, particularly if these markets are still depressed and particularly if the trade war is still going on with China. Yeah, I think it's, it's a very likely scenario, if that's the case, that he'll want to do something else. Um, does it also set up an even more contentious next farm bill debate? Well, it does make you wonder what, yeah, what, what, what do we want in terms of farm programs? And I think that if you look at, at the history of farm programs over the last 30 years, and certainly over the time period that I've spent probably most of my time, uh, you know, you've moved from fairly heavy regulations in terms of what you could plant and, 
you know, real heavy regulations on base acres and set-asides and things like that to a much more flexible system. Um, and I don't think anyone really, well, I shouldn't say, most people don't want to return to a, a more regulatory environment like that. But the fact is there's the, the money's involved with all this. I think that the, these ad hoc payments will start coming into play, at least in the debate over, you know, what would emerge out of a new farm bill. So it's not a question about need. We know there's a need right now, but we're just looking at long-term implications because for every action, there's a reaction, and we're kind of looking ahead what the reaction might be somewhere down the line. Yeah, and and I think that's a real important because I think, again, and, and I would say this even true with, with other WTO members who are looking at this, they certainly view the uh, I think most of them look at agriculture and say, hey, they're kind of the innocent bystander that, that are painting the brunt of this uh, trade war right now. But I think that, that if this continues and then the questions that do arise are, well, wait a minute, uh, we also are, are being affected by this trade war, but we're not getting that sort of compensation. And I think that's where the, the real danger lies. Joe, always good to talk with you. Thank you for your perspective. Uh, Have a very happy Thanksgiving. We'll talk again. Yeah, same to you, Mike. Happy Thanksgiving. All right, take care. Joe Glauber, former USDA chief economist, now senior research fellow for the International Food Policy Research Institute. And with that, we wrap things up for today. Thank you so much for being with us. And coming up tomorrow, we'll take a look at uh, the ongoing situation with China. What's at stake here for the U.S. pork industry. What opportunities are, are so close, but can uh, can they be realized? We'll talk about that and more coming up on tomorrow's program. Have a great day. Join us again tomorrow on AOA. The sounds of success vary from person to person. Success sounds like this to a Credence soybean grower. Along with 43 new varieties this year, Credence soybeans come with agronomic expertise from BASF. That means expert advisors who bring local insights on seed selection, management decisions, and crop protection options. Knowing the kind of success you're shooting for? That's smart. Talk to your authorized Credence retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions.